This is Scenic Roots. I'm Ray Bassett. Thanks for joining us. Rhonda Lee Chapman describes herself as a sustainability generalist, active in outdoor spaces for decades, from enthusiast to advocate to policy influencer. She is equity director at the Trust for Public Land, a national nonprofit best known for its work in urban conservation. On Thursday at 5.30 p.m. at Chattanooga's Waterhouse Pavilion, Rhonda will give a presentation on reimagining our relationship to place for Civic, the speaker series from Chattanooga Design Studio. I spoke with Rhonda, who is based in Washington, D.C., and Christina Gibson, the studio's outreach and development coordinator. Rhonda, Christina, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Ray. It's good to be here. Rhonda, tell us more about your work with the Trust for Public Land. The Trust for Public Land is an organization, a conservation organization that has been around for, we're coming up on our 50th annual celebration next year. And we're a national organization. We have, I think, about 28 offices around the country where we work very closely with communities. And we have the belief that everybody deserves to have a 10-minute walk access to a park. And so we work with communities across a whole host of platforms, including our community schoolyards. We work with our 10-minute walk campaign. We work with other locations. We're not just in the urban spaces. We're also in the rural spaces around providing access to land and building trails. Sometimes they're hiking trails. They're mixed-use trails. We work with different communities for biking. And so as the director of equity, it's really about trying to ensure that we're doing it right. (laughs) Making sure that we are, when we say that we are working in communities of the highest need, it's usually communities that have continuously been marginalized. A lot of times it's based on racialized policies that are longstanding. So it's oftentimes about infrastructure. It's sometimes about disinvestment and we come into the communities and work very closely with them they often invite us to come and help them kind of right the wrongs of the past. And so when we look at the structural equity, we look at the procedural processes that are tied to policy, we look at the distribution of resources and knowledge and information. We have an amazing research and innovation team that is tracking data not only of the 100 most populous cities in the U.S., but of 14,000 cities where we're looking at how parks are being distributed, the amenities associated, the qualities associated. And we just last year, for the first time, applied a equity component to our assessment to look at where parks are relevant to income, relevant to race, relevant to other disparities that we tend to use as different markers. And so it's a lot. It's a lot to track. It's a lot to provide guidance on. There are a lot of policies that we are tracking, such as the Parks, Jobs and Equity Act, etc. So it's a big job and it provides a lot of opportunity. And how were you drawn to the outdoors? For me, it has been a lifestyle for a very, very long time. I think it probably started growing up in the suburbs here of D.C. in a county that previously, like back in the day, was just a lot of open land. We had wetlands, we had horse farms, and I was essentially an only child for the most part. I'm the youngest of four kids, and so it was kind of, my parents would say, they would open the door and say, go find something to do. And so the thing that there was to do was engage with nature. And I just subconsciously developed a strong love and appreciation for being outside. It was my companion. It kept me company. And so fast forward to, you know, graduating from high school and and getting a first official full-time job. And I worked with Greenpeace as a canvasser. And then it just seemed that things started to roll over. So, you know, again, it's always when I get this question and I get to look back on where did this even begin? It started then. And then I found myself spending the entire decade of the 90s living in the mountains of Utah and being a ski bum, living the lifestyle, living the dream where, you know, you didn't meet for coffee, you met for a hike. And got super engaged in just 
finding peace and solace and fitness and joy and spirituality in the outdoors. And, you know, that's been 30 years going strong. I was just sharing with Christina before we started talking that I was on my bike this morning and just being outside riding my bike to the grocery store is something that just invigorates my body. So it's just a lifelong passion. And Christina, what is it about Rhonda's story and her work that speak to what Civic is all about from the Chattanooga Design Studio? I was introduced to Rhonda by our director, Eric Myers, who was just totally enchanted meeting Rhonda in Chattanooga on her last visit here and talking to her about her work with Trust Republic Land. And I've just also am so enjoying getting to know Rhonda and talking about her work with her. And she's really challenging, even just challenging me to rethink the way I think about community and the way I think about land. One of the questions that I think we'll be orbiting around in this upcoming civic is who are we prioritizing when we talk about community? Because something that we do at the design studio is really try to focus on designing and advocating for healthy neighborhoods and healthy communities and excellent design of urban public space. But who are we designing that for? Who are we planning for? Is that always equitable? Everything from the way a meeting is set up to the way a landscape is designed. So I think that Rhonda's work really speaks to, I think it's her work is both incredibly overdue and also right on time, the kind of lessons that she has to share and the kind of work that she's doing. So we're really excited to have her in Chattanooga to raise some tough, sticky questions about how we relate to land and how we relate to community and how we live in right relationship to land in Chattanooga. And the title for this roundtable conversation that you will facilitate, Rhonda, is Reimagining Our Relationship to Place, How We Decolonize Design Thinking to Inspire Collective Well-Being. Christina filled in some of the questions that that title might raise. But when we talk about decolonized design thinking, what do we mean by that? We have a lot of practices in our society. I used to work with municipal government. I worked, that's kind of where I cut my teeth when we talk about sustainability and we talk about equitable design and equitable development. And so I've worked with a lot of planners. I've worked with a lot of landscape architects. And one of the things that I have witnessed, and this isn't, I can't speak for Chattanooga, But one of the things that I've witnessed is we are really good at crafting our imagination for a place that is going to be beautiful and that's going to have these amenities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes we design spaces, design the people out of spaces. (laughs) And so what this is challenging us to do is to flip the script a little bit and to really design with the people in mind. And when we say, as Christina was just illuminating, as we, when we say community, it's what community, for whom, and by whom. And what we know about the demographics here in the United States, and even in Chattanooga, things are changing. And so what we have been doing for decades is not necessarily suitable And so when we're designing spaces, we also have to think about safety and not just our physical safety, but we need to think about what it means to have a sense of belonging, what it means to be welcomed into a space, whether we see any elements of our individual culture conveyed in the way a space is designed or laid out. And so what we want to consider doing sometimes is putting the textbooks aside We want to put the manuals aside. We want to look at our traditional thinking and everything that we learned in grad school, and we want to put it aside for a moment. And we want to talk about what the actual experience of place is and whose experience, again, is being revitalized or is potentially being shut down. And so as we're talking about the way we're looking at our spaces, what is the gaze that we're applying? And oftentimes it's going to be the people who have the most decision-making opportunity. It's usually going to be the people who can fund the quote-unquote solution. So it's a power play very often. And so if we want to decolonize our thinking when we're designing a space, we have to look at 
some power mapping opportunities and determine who exactly is making that decision. And so it's a, it's an opportunity to have some fun. We're going to explore some new ways to think about the work that we're doing. And we also have to always remember that all of us here today, myself included, we are all brokers of stolen land. And that's really important for us to keep in mind. And so Indigenous people, Native Americans have not gone away. They're still here. They're still very present in our daily life. And it's very easy for folks to get comfortable and kind of brush over that reality. And as we look at our amazing immigrant population that's coming to the United States, and we know that we have an increase in our population in Chattanooga, are we engaging? Are we thinking about the crops and the foods that we're planting in our community and urban gardens? Are they cultural foods? Are they foods that folks can come here and feel a sense of home when they're engaging with a garden, right? So there's a lot of fun ways for us to think about it. Christina mentioned that you've come to Chattanooga before. When you have come here, where have you gone in nature and in the outdoors? Which places around here have spoken to you particularly? Oh my gosh. So I was only there once before to visit with our team at the Trust for Public Land. And I only had the opportunity. My colleague, Daniela, who will be with us, did her best to like got in the car and we drove around where she was able to point out different areas where we were doing our work. So I didn't get a chance to engage because I just didn't have the time. But there was one park And I'm so sad that I don't remember the name of it. There were two parts, actually, that we were able to walk through and have a conversation with some of the community partners that we were working with, both of whom were African-American women. And we talked about the work that they were doing and how those were being utilized and whether or not they had, again, that sense of safety, that sense of belonging, whether they had the empowerment to determine how those spaces were used. And one instance, one of the community partners I was talking with is a member of a very large church, a Black church. And she was talking about because of the pandemic, because folks were not engaging inside, they were having church outside in the park. And it ended up that they had a larger number of congregants coming to this space, because not only were people eager to get outside, but there was actually more room and they had a greater need to engage with folks in this faith-based way. And so they ended up turning that space into an area for youth programming, et cetera, et cetera. So I apologize that I don't remember the name of the park, either of them. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And Christina, if people want more information about Rhonda, about Civic and this event, where can people go online? So if people want to get more information, they can go to the website, chattanoogastudio.com and check out the Civic page. Civic is spelled C-I-V-I-Q. So it's chattanoogastudio.com slash Civic. And there they can find information about the upcoming event with Rhonda, as well as a link to RSVP on Eventbrite. All right. Rhonda, Christina, thanks so much. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Car fans, start your engines. The Chattanooga Motor Car Festival returns from Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th along the downtown riverfront after last year's festival was postponed due to the pandemic. Corky Coker is the festival's Grand Marshal. Corky, thanks for joining us. Well, sure. Glad to be here. And you were the Grand Marshal. Yes, sir. I don't really know what that means other than, uh, you know. But you're going to find out in time for the festival. I will find out by the time the festival rolls around. I get to do radio interviews and I get to stand up on stage and I've got a bunch of vintage cars and race cars. So I get to bring them to all the wonderful stuff we're doing at the Motor Car Festival. Tell us more about the festival this year. Well, it's an amazing event. We've had one inaugural year and then we had COVID. In 19, we had an amazing event and I don't know if our listeners here know much about how hard it is to set up a motor car festival and a concourse that's successful. And the DeFore brothers and Jim Pace and all the folks that came together and made 2019 an amazing, successful event made reverberations around the world. And there probably are 150 
concourse events in the United States alone, all over in France and South America. And anyway, this event is significantly placed as Chattanooga is, and it was just wildly successful. So we're very thankful for that. And COVID came and we had to put it off in order to be safe for all the attendees, et cetera. And but now in 2021, we're looking forward to an amazing, amazing event. October 15th, 16th, and 17th, right downtown Chattanooga at the Weston is the headquarters where the concourse is on Sunday the 17th. And there will be some of the finest vintage and collector cars all over the world. This year, we have a wheel-to-wheel race in the Pace Grand Prix that's halfway on the Austin property and halfway on Riverfront Parkway. And there will be vintage race cars as early as mine, 1911, up to the cars of the 70s and 80s that will be literally racing through the streets of the Dynamo of Dixie, Chattanooga, Tennessee. When you talk about vintage cars, classic cars, what are some favorites for you? Uh, I like them all, brother. I like them all. But, uh, you know, one of my favorites is a vintage race car that I will have on the track is a 1910 Nyberg. The Nyberg was not probably the best car ever made in Chattanooga, as our friends at Volkswagen, I tell quite frequently. But it was the first car made in Chattanooga from 1910 to 1912. And they made a couple hundred a year. And it was on a little side street, I think Lyerly Street or something like that up near Dodds Avenue. So that's one of my favorites. I have a 1957 Mercedes 300 SL, which is a very rare car and a valuable car, but it's a beautiful car too. So, but I like strange cars. Have you ever heard heard of a Pierce Arrow? Yes. Okay. Well, I have a 1911 Pierce Arrow. Wow. Uh, which is a seven passenger touring car, 50 horsepower car, and it rides so smooth. You want to say it rides like a. <laughs> Not a Cadillac, a Pierce Era. <laughs> you didn't even bite at that. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> Sorry. But um, yeah, so that's one of my favorite cars, but I've got vintage race cars. We've got an exact replica of the Marmon Wasp that will be on the track in the paddock that we raced recently at Monterey Historics at Laguna Seca. That was the winner of the first Indianapolis 500. And then we have a 1911 that mysteriously placed second in 1911. Hmm. Um, It's an interesting story. So, you know, all your listeners need to come by the Motor Car Festival and see me in the pits and watch us race. And I'll tell you the story about the battle between the Marmon Wasp and the 11 Lozier. How'd you get into cars? I was born into it. My dad said, well, I raised you up in it. And I said, no, dad, you jerked me up in it. But I grew up in collector cars. When I was a small child, I did car tours with my family. And uh, I remember riding in the backseat of a 1910 Rio around the back roads of America and just having a wonderful time. But my father was a county commissioner here in Hamlet County, and he was a car collector. My granddad got us involved in that, and I miss them both. And it's a great hobby. It's a hobby that families can enjoy. And by the way, we say that the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival is a wonderful family event. Look at the cars or even participate in the um, West Village Auto Rally, which is uh, a wonderful car rally that goes through the back roads of Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. It'll be about 200 miles in a day. That will be two days of the weekend, Friday and Saturday. This year, I'll tell you, we've got something really exciting. I'm sure that you have listeners out there that always dreamed of buying a muscle car, or a GTO, a Camaro, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are a couple guys in the students in the studio here, and they're all both nodding their heads yes. <laughs> and, and it's true. Most people have that ability, but they just see Meekum or some of the auctions on television and think, well, I could never be there. Well, this is the year. This year, we will have 600 cars at the Hamilton County Convention Center with Meekum Auctions, and there will be a tent all along Carter Street in front of the Trade Center with some of those 600 cars being lined up ready for auction. You can go and register and buy a vintage or classic muscle car or hot rod at the Meekum Auction, which is a really amazing thing. be 600 cars for sale. 
You talked about family a moment ago, right. and you started off mentioning Jim Pace, a member of the festival family. Yes. We were lucky to have Jim come here in 2019. We interviewed him in one of the other studios here right. at WUTC about right. the festival, and then we lost yeah, him. Yeah, we did. We lost him. And, you know, it's um, it's a terrible bad disease that we don't know everything about, but, you know, I want to encourage all listeners to to be vaccinated, and then you don't have to worry about it so much. You know, you might get, you can still get it accordingly to what I see from the science, but you don't have as bad of symptoms. But Jim had an underlying problem that he didn't really tell us, and he was a diabetic, and it took him down quick. And we miss him and um, named the Grand Prix after him. He he was a wonderful guy. He's a pilot, a race car driver. It's really funny that in uh, the summer of 2019 yeah in 2019 after we had our first motor car festival he had a really tragic wreck up on a racetrack and driving a can-am car and those are real low aerodynamic cars and the car caught air and it flipped up in the air and flipped over and over a couple two or three times he landed and didn't have a scratch and then this stupid disease came and took him out in a week but we miss him but Thank you for mentioning him. And you're paying tribute to him, as you mentioned. Yeah, sure. For people who want more information about the festival, where can they go online? How can they contact you? Sure. Well, the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival dot com is the place that you can go online. They're still taking some applications for volunteers. You can buy tickets. Tickets are on sale now. There will be people here from all over the world. We'll have uh, some really fine and important celebrities that come in. We've got my friend Wayne Carini. He's got the second best mustache in the collector car of Harvey. And, you know, for you folks that are out there that are not familiar with me, I got a great big mustache. It's kind of morphed into a goatee right now, but uh, Wayne Carini is a wonderful guy, and he's got a car show on uh, Thursday nights called Chasing Classic Cars. Alan DeCadney is coming. My good friend from Los Angeles, but originally from Dalton, Georgia, Linda Vaughn, the first lady of motorsports, will be here. Brian Redman is coming. I'm not sure if Brian Johnson will come. I gave him a challenge of ACDC. He, uh, he and I raced on the, on the speed time course in 19, and uh, he beat me. He was driving a big blower Bentley, and I was driving the 1910 Nyberg, but he beat me. And I challenged him with another blower Bentley because I bought one because I was expecting <laughs> to race him. Here's your challenge, Brian Johnson. If you come, bring the ACDC boys, and you can play for us too, but I'm going to whoop you on the course. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Corky, thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me here, and I appreciate what you guys do here at this station, and we appreciate it. And all you guys come to the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival. It's a wonderful time. And go to ChattanoogaMotorCarFestival.com, and you can find out all the things that you need to do and buy a ticket. All right. Thank Thank you you very much. You're listening to Scenic Roots. More in a moment. This is Scenic Roots from the Isis Music Hall, recorded on Sunday, June 20th, from Macon, Georgia, where she grew up with Otis Redding and the Allman Brothers Band in the air, singing in the choir. She wrote in her bio, I get off the school bus and my mom would have a dress waiting for me, and before I knew it, I was headed off to sing at a revival of some kind. These days, she splits her time between Nashville and Raleigh, North Carolina. With her band in the Isis Music Hall, this is Molly Stevens.
for y'all. She is my all-time favorite. <laughs> well, this next song here is a, is a new one as well. It's really fun to get to play new songs. I recorded it last summer out in Nashville and uh, I'm just now getting to release it. But you know, it's really one of my most special songs that I've ever written because in this journey that I've had, that for, for my journey in music, it's been it has been up and down, up and down, and in, in, in some really amazing seasons of life where I felt like I was on top, and some really low seasons in life where you know I could finally admit and surrender that like, oh Lord, like there are a lot of really good musicians out there, <laughs> um, and saying that the the biggest gift of all for me in this uh, this. 15 or gosh I've been doing music since I was two years old and that is no lie um but but professionally has been finally being able to get on a stage and feel okay with who I am and be able to voice that and not hide from that and to completely love all of me and at the end of the day it's like nothing else matters that's my Grammy so this is the song called completely Take your cash back and Cadillac and 
Yeah. 
Dolly Parton But mostly Thank you, guys. That's a special song to me. Well, uh, we're, we're going to play a few more for you all tonight. We've had so much fun. It's been such a good good time being here in Asheville. I was thinking of on Father's Day today, I was thinking about my dad, and I got to see him not too long ago. He and, he and my mom came to Nashville last weekend, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to meet my family down at the beach uh, next weekend. So um, I, I've gotten to spend a lot of great time with them, and, and I'm super close to my father. And uh, anyway, when I first moved to Nashville... I told my dad, he said, you got to get a job. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm going to be a musician. Like, it's going to happen, like, just like that overnight, right? He's like, nah, like, you got to get a job and pay the bills. Like, dad's not doing that for anymore. And so I remember I was teaching school, and I went and I taught, um, golly, I guess they were seventh graders. I don't know. They were weird. <laughs> seventh graders are weird. And uh, but, I, but I loved them because I'm weird, too. And, and I was sitting there, and we were outside doing a little activity, and all I could do was think about, I would give them a little bit of free time, and in my head, I'd start writing songs. And I knew it was probably not a good thing to do, but I did it. And one day, I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, I like, don't know what to write about. And he was like, Mom, you got to write something stupid, just something so dumb that it's going to make it on the radio, and Zach Brown's going to want to record it, and like... Just the silliest song you can think of. Like, don't be writing all that heartfelt stuff and who you are. Like, that's all good. But, like, write something just silly. So I came up with this. It was the story of my life, too. Because I was broke, y'all. But it was the summertime. And I was tan.
thank you. Now, Zach Brown didn't record that, but we did get to record it in Zach Brown's studio, so. Y'all getting scared?
in case you, just in case you didn't go to church this morning, you need to redeem yourself. Now's your time. Y'all don't know what I'm about to do, but y'all just follow me. My 92-year-old grandmother who is still alive who told me I could not leave the stage without singing a gospel song. Isis Music Hall, Molly Stevens and her band. The full video of their performance in the Isis Music Hall is on the Isis Theatre Facebook page. From listener-supported public radio in Chattanooga, this is Scenic Roots. I'm Ray Bassett. Thanks for listening to Scenic Roots. We come to you from WUTC at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Email us at scenicroots423 at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at scenicroots423. Listen to us online anytime at wutc.org and the WUTC app. For Richard Winham and the rest of our team, join us again next time for Scenic Roots.